Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present... Suspense! Tonight... Autolite presents transcribed A Murderous Revision, the story about a man who made a recording of a violent death, starring Mr. Richard Widmark. Hi, Hap. Meet the team. Where? Why, right under your car's hood, Hap. The Autolite electrical system, the family team of precision-made units, including the coil, distributor, starting motor, and the other parts that make up the complete Autolite electrical system, used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. Well, what does this team do, Harlow? Why, Hap, it goes to work for you every time you press the starting switch, sound your horn, or play your radio. The Autolite electrical system does all that, huh, Harlow? Right, Hap, because all its units are related like a family team. By Autolite engineering design and manufacturing skill for the smoothest performance money can buy. So, friends, when your Autolite-equipped car needs replacement parts, insist on Autolite original factory parts. Because from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with a murderous revision and the performance of Mr. Richard Widmark, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in... Suspense! Yeah? What did you want to see me for? Oh, Chris. Come in. Sit down. Did you uh, get to hear the show Sunday? I don't like to listen to the show. Oh, why not? Because I don't, that's all. Hey, Mr. Goodwin, I put some zip in that closing scene. I want you to hear it. Got the playback ready. Now, hand me that record mark part two, will you? Thanks. I don't know, Chris. I don't make you come to rehearsals. You don't have to sit in the control room all day. The least you can do is listen to the show at home. Well, listen to this now. George. Honest, I didn't mean it, George. Get this, Chris. Get this. Do you mean to say that you didn't really mean it when you told my brother you didn't love him? You forget, Doris, that I heard you every word while I was hiding behind the Davenport the night my mother was here. George, I beg you, don't do this thing. Put down the gun, George. Now, this is only what you deserve. <gasps> you tricked me for the last time, Doris. You tricked me for the last time. What did you change it for? What was wrong with the ending the way it was? Why did you change it? Now, just take it easy, Chris. I'll tell you why I changed it. Because it was wordy and repetitious. It didn't tell the story. The boy's upstairs. The boy's upstairs. Yeah, that's just what I thought. The boy's upstairs. They do everything but breathe for you. Did it ever occur to you that maybe people are wordy and repetitious? Chris, I'm trying to tell you the scene the way you wrote it just, just didn't... didn't play. Yeah, that's right. All the trade cliches drag them out. It didn't live. It didn't play. It didn't make the right goosebumps come out on your left elbow. 
How did you ever get into this business? Who ever lets you into a radio studio? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. What you need is a good psychiatrist. Don't you tell me I need a psychiatrist. Let go of me. I said let go. Why, you're nuts. Now, you listen to me, you. For two years now, I've turned out a murder a week for you. Week in and week out. A murder a week. I eat murder. I talk murder. I dream murder. And for what? Every time I turn in a decent script, you chop the heart out of it. Your contract's up next week, Chris. You've got only one more script to do. Well, write it and get out. You get better than a script. You'll get everything you deserve. I'm going to show you what a real murder sounds like. I'm going to show you if I have to kill you to do it. Good evening. This is a recording of an actual murder. The first, as far as I know. Not written, not rehearsed, but well planned. It is respectfully dedicated to Mr. Ken Avery, editor and producer of the radio program, Murder, Please. This is my last show, Mr. Avery. I'm delivering it to you in its entirety. Cast, music, everything. The events and persons are absolutely real. It's going to be a great show, Mr. Avery. You'll hear everything but the climax. I'm speaking into a microphone concealed in my desk, concealed with the other recording equipment I've rented for the occasion. The music you hear is coming from a high-fidelity phonograph at my side. This program is produced, edited, directed, narrated, engineered, and plotted by Christopher Turner whose only claim to immortality is this single half hour. And now, Mr. Avery, the leading characters in order of appearance. The murderer, Christopher Turner. The catalytic agent, your daughter, Lois. The victim, yourself. And now, please to begin. Murder, please. Hello? Hello, Ken. This is Chris. Oh, now listen, I hate to Chris. bother you at home, but I wanted to apologize for the way I acted. Could you drop over to my office right away? Sorry, Chris. No go. I put up with your little insanities for two years now. Temper tantrums, insults, coming in stewed to the gills. Two years of that was plenty. I see. You won't change your mind. Not a chance. Maybe you can find somebody more patient than I am. Good luck. Thanks, Ken. Thanks a lot. Lovely opening scene, Mr. Avery. Thank you. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. You just threw away your last chance to save your life. Good work, an excellent performance. Well, if you won't come up to my office by invitation, which I suspected you wouldn't, there's still another way. The telephone book. Listen, Mr. Avery. The sound of the flipping pages. Your daughter's phone number. Ah, here we are. In a long time, bet you don't even know who this is. I don't recognize the voice. This is Christopher Turner. Oh, sure, Mr. Turner. How are you? Fine, just fine. Well, how do you like uh, living alone? It's all right, I guess. Rather be living with the folks? No. It's kind of independent this way. Yeah. How's the writing coming? Oh, not so good, Mr. Turner. I've written five scripts so far, and every one of them has been rejected. I don't know what's the matter. Well, the reason I called was your dad and I had a talk this afternoon about you. He thought maybe I could pass on a few tips. Oh, I wouldn't want to bother you. Oh, now, this isn't an obligation on my part, Lois. I like to help young people. Say, uh, what are you doing this evening? Well... You see, uh, here's the point, Lois. This is the only free night I'll have this week. Things are sort of piling up. And uh, maybe you're doing some little thing with your writing that I could straighten out in an evening. Well, all 
all right, Mr. Turner. Good. You know where my office is? I don't think so. It's right across from the broadcasting studios, the Brown Building, room 208. I'll be right over. Fine. And uh, bring your scripts with you, huh? I will. I, I certainly appreciate this. Not at all. Bye. Bye. I'll be right over and bring your scripts with you. I certainly appreciate this. Not at all. <laughs> you see, that's how people talk, Mr. Avery. Let's see, what else? Oh, yes, sound. Drawer opens. Gun taken out. Click of breech. Whirl of chamber. Bullets inserted in chamber. Three, four, five, and six. Gun in drawer, drawer closed. And now we must wait. You see, Mr. Avery? Fate is a better dramatist than either. Just when things start getting dull, the phone rings. Hello? Hello, Chris. Hank. Oh, what's up? I tried your place all night. I tried your sister's place. Finally, I called your office. I wouldn't let myself believe it, but here you are, slaving away for old man Avery again. Say, when are you going to tell him to go take a flying leap? I did that just today. No kidding? Yes. Well, congratulations. From here on in, nothing but bigger and better things. Yeah. Say, there's a rip-roaring poker game going on over here. Just room for one more sucker. What do you say? No, I can't tonight. I'm doing my last show. Oh, forget it for one night. Why don't you? Live a little. Thanks, Hank, but I can't. I'm coming over and get you away from that typewriter if I have to use force. No, I can't, Hank. The show's Sunday. Look, I got a script due tomorrow. You don't see me knocking myself out. Let him wait. Listen, Hank, you can't come over here. Don't you get it? Honest. If I'd suspected. Sure thing. Well, take it easy. Uh, call me for lunch or something. You bet. Sorry, boy. Bye. Bye. Whew. That was close. Good scene, though. Lois Avery is just driven up in front of the building. She's getting out of the car carrying her scripts. She wears a cardigan sweater, tweed skirt, flat shoes. She's young, she's very pretty. A girl with everything to live for. Now she's disappeared into the building. In a moment, she'll knock on my door. And then you'll see for yourself how youth resists the threat of death. And this, Mr. Avery, would be the proper dramatic moment to end Act One. is bringing you Mr. Richard Widmark in A Murderous Revision, tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Hey, Hap, better turn on your lights. Preston, they're on. Thank you, and uh, thank Autolite. Why, Harlow? Because in your Autolite-equipped car, the lights, as well as the power for your radio and power to crank your motor, are all provided by the Autolite electrical system. It has to be good, huh, Harlow? You bet, Hap. And that's why complete Autolite electrical systems are used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. And that's good enough for me, Harlow. You bet it's good, Hap. And that's why it pays to treat your car's electrical system to a periodic checkup at your authorized Autolite service station or the dealer who services your make of car. You can quickly locate your nearest authorized Autolite service station in the classified section of your telephone directory or by calling Western Union by number and asking for Operator 25. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage... Mr. Richard Widmark in Elliot Lewis's production of A Murderous Revision, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
Act Two. This is Christopher Turner once again, Mr. Avery, bringing you by transcription the first recording of an actual murder ever made specifically for broadcast. The setting? My office. The music? Recorded. The time? Night. The victim? Yourself. Your daughter has just entered the building. And so concludes the usual resume with which we begin the second act of every Murder, Please program. I hear footsteps in the hall. Your cue, Lois. Sound, knock on door. Come in. Hi, Lois. Come on in. Thanks. I brought the scripts with me. Wonderful, wonderful. Sit down. I hope I'm not putting you out. I always tell Dad to stop imposing on my behalf, but I guess he'll never learn. Now, look, you're here because I want you here, and for no other reason. Cigarette? No, thanks. This is a nice office. It serves. Just a hole in the wall, but quiet, nothing fancy. I like it. Well, how long have you been scribbling? Six months, Mr. Turner. Let's uh, just make it Chris. Hmm? What sort of things? Murder, mostly. Somebody told me that's what sells best. True, true. Well, uh, let's just start talking about murder. Maybe something interesting will come out. Question number one. Why do you think people kill? Lots of reasons, I guess. Money. Love. Revenge. Mm-mm, not really. Only for survival. They kill for money only when money means life. Their idea of life. They only kill for love when life depends upon that love. They only kill for revenge when life is intolerable without it. You see? That's very interesting. Could you kill? I don't think so. Well, maybe you could. Here. See? A gun. And loaded. Please put it away. Take it. No, I'd rather not. It's very obedient. It won't fire unless you press the trigger. Take it. That's it. Now point it at me. Please, I... Think now, think. One touch of your finger and you kill me. One little touch. A very delicate instrument to trigger. There's a sense of power there. You feel it? I'm afraid. Fear, yes, but exhilaration, too. Like the second drink. I feel it, yes. Yeah. All right, you can give it back to me now. <laughs> well, so much for the murderer. Now, uh, what about the victim? Afraid of death? Sometimes. What is death to you? Death? Mm hmm. I don't know. No idea? Emptiness? Blackness? Nothing? Is that so terrible? Yes, because you really don't know. Like the dark. That's it. Do you know any more about death than you do about me? You? Yeah. Well, I know you work for Dad. Yes, but you've never even spent one hour with me. Once at lunch, you and your father sat down with me, yet you come up here alone. How do you know you can trust me? I suppose I don't, really. Look at this. Please put it down. It makes me terribly nervous. Do you have any money? A little. How much? Ten dollars, maybe, some change. Give it to me. Here. Why did you give me the money? Because you asked me for it. No, because you were hoping I'd put down the gun. And if I'd said, a kiss, one kiss, and I'll put down the gun, what would you do? I suppose I... I suppose I'd give... But it... a kiss, that would be harder to give, wouldn't it? Yes. Kiss me. There. Thank you. Now put down the gun. Please. I know it's a lesson in writing and all that, but it scares me. No. But you said you would. I said nothing of the kind. And if I had said it, you'd have been foolish to believe me. You can't trust a man with a gun. You feel helpless, don't you? Yes. While you could give me money, there was hope. While you could give me love, there was hope. But if all I wanted was revenge, there'd be nothing you could do to save yourself. Nothing. And if I told you that right now, right this moment, I'm going to pull this trigger and blow you to bits, tell me, what would you say? 
try to talk you out of it. What would you say? I wouldn't know what to say. Then I'd shoot. I'd tell you about the electric chair. Very little threat to a man about to kill. Later, maybe, when he's running away, then he'd think about consequences. But not now. Now it's only kill. Now, what else? What else would you say? I'd beg him. He wouldn't listen. I'd plead with him. I'd say, please don't kill me. And if he still wouldn't listen? Then I'd die. Hello. Bet you don't know who this is. I can't place the voice. Try. I haven't the slightest idea. Remember San Francisco and the Italian pizza and the cigarette holder? Vaguely. Who is this? I hate guessing games. Harriet. I know at least 18 Harriets. Harriet who? Crawford. Oh. I just came in. I thought maybe you could meet me for a drink. I don't know a single solitary soul in town. How did you happen to call here? I shouldn't tell, I suppose, but Hank said you were working late at the office. Hank, huh? He gave me the number and said to be sure to call. Bless his heart. What was that? I said, bless his heart. Yeah. Well, I'll call you tomorrow. Yeah, you do that. Well, bye. Guess I'd better get going. Why? We're not even started yet. Well, if you don't put down that gun, I'm going. I don't like it. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. Now, listen. Please. Please sit down. Now, now this is just a sample plot. You can have it if you want it. It's about a writer who had great novels in him, great plays. But he was broke. So, for the sake of a place to stay and a meal to eat, he started turning out radio mysteries. He turned them out until every drop of originality was squeezed out of him. And all the greatness he might have been ate into him because he'd leave nothing to the world. Nothing but scripts to be swept up by studio janitors after the broadcast. Well, the writer made his decision one day. He'd do a last radio play. A radio play with an actual murder. The only chance he had for permanent survival. And he selected as his victim the man who had ground him into the dust. He selected his editor and producer, Ken Avery. Please. I like you. I, I, I like you very much. I wish this could be happening to almost anyone but you. Get to the phone. What? The telephone. What for? You're going to call your father. No. No, I won't do it. You'll call your father and you'll tell him to come up to my office. Now pick up the receiver. No, wait. I'll do it. Now, take the phone. Tell him. It's ringing. Take it. Hello? <clears throat> Hello? Dad? Lois? Lois, what are you calling this time of night for? Something the matter? No, nothing. You want him to take you home? You don't feel well? Uh, Lois, I... something's the matter. Where are you? You home? No, I, I'm at Mr. Turner's. Turner's? His apartment? His office. I don't feel very well. Come and take me home. Come and take me home. I don't feel well. Here, give me the phone. Hello, Ken. Yes, Chris? Yeah, Lois came up tonight to discuss some scripts she wrote, but she doesn't feel very well. You'd better come and get her. I'll be right over. Sit down. We haven't got very long to wait. Twenty minutes have gone by. I hear the steps in the hall. The sure, plodding steps of her father, Mr. Ken Avery. The climax, ladies and gentlemen, of the listening audience I address to you. Mr. Avery will never hear this portion of the entertainment. Come in. Lois, are you... What is this? Sit down. There's a chair reserved for you. Lois, what's been going on here? Tell him, Lois. He's going to kill you. He's going to kill both of us. Close the door. Oh, 
Chris, put that thing down. Somebody's liable to get hurt. What's the matter with you? Drinking again? Nothing to drink. Very sober. Sit down. Chris, are you crazy? Good line. Perfectly in character. The inane cliche from the mouth of the great producer. You see, Ken, everything is being recorded right now. Your voice, Lois, is mine. Sit down. Recorded for what? For posterity, for the show next week. You'll have the honor of appearing on your own program as the murder victim. Yeah, let me show you. Right here in the desk. You see, it's a recording machine. I've stopwatched every second. It's been running exactly 25 minutes. You always made it a rule to plan the climax for 26.30 so you could have room for a final commercial. Well, that's just what I'm doing. According to my timing, you have about one minute and 30 seconds to live. All right, Chris, that's enough of the phony dramatics. Now, give me that thing before somebody gets hurt. Stand back. I wouldn't want to mistime the climax of the show. This won't make a show. You won't have much editorial power, Mr. Avery, after a few seconds. Uh, there's the agency. They wouldn't put this thing on the air. No, why not? You planned to kill me. From the beginning. There's the trouble right there, Chris. There's no twist. Oh, yes, the twist. Right. The surprise ending. You told the audience to expect the murder to be successful. But our shows have to have some kind of surprise for the audience, Chris. You know that. Uh, where's the twist? <laughs> Still the editor right to death's door. Huh? All right, Ken, perhaps you can provide the surprise ending that's going to save your life. I don't have to. Oh? You provided the twist yourself, but you didn't know it. And yet the twist was part of the story all the time. Where, Mr. Editor Avery? You. You, Chris. You're the twist. Me? That's right. You're a flop, Chris. You're so used to dreaming on paper, you can't live anymore. You wrote about love because you never had it. You wrote about fortunes, and you're still two bits. You wrote about murder, but you, you haven't got the guts to pull the trigger. Now, give me that gun. You think I won't shoot? I know you won't. Give me that gun, you hack. What did you say? I said you were a hack. Now, give me that gun. Stay away! Give me that gun, you hack! No, I'm not! Let go! Let go of my hand! Drop it, I said! Drop it! Let go! Chris. Chris! You always liked to change the ending? Dad. It's all right, Lois. Dad, take me home. The records. They're all we have to clear us. Take me home, please. As soon as I see what's on those records. Oh. Oh, this must be part one. Uh, let's see. Good evening. This is a recording of an actual murder. The first, as far as I know. Not written, not rehearsed. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Richard Widmark. Friends, this is Harlow Wilcox again to remind you that Autolite is the world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. In 28 plants from coast to coast, Autolite makes over 400 products for cars, trucks, tractors, planes, and boats. These include complete electrical systems, a complete line of ignition engineered Autolite spark plugs, both standard and resistor types. Autolite batteries, including the famous Autolite Stay Full. Autolite also makes automotive wire and cable, bumpers and hubcaps, electric windshield wipers and many more. All are backed by constant Autolite research and are precision built to highest standards of quality and performance. So remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, our star will be Mr. Victor Mature as a man who made his living as an assassin. A tale we call Black Jack to Kill. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. John Hodiak and Mr. Herbert Marshall, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and transcribed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. 
A murderous revision was adapted for suspense by David Ellis from a story of S. Lee Pagostin. In tonight's story, Kathy Lewis was heard as Lois, Joseph Kearns as Ken, Charlotte Lawrence as Harriet, and Jerry Hausner as Hank. Tonight's appearance of Richard Widmark was made possible through the kind permission of 20th Century Fox Studios. Mr. Widmark may soon be seen in the Technicolor production, Red Skies of Montana. For the location of your nearest Autolite service station or your nearest Autolite spark plug or battery dealer, phone Western Union by number and ask for operator 25. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is the CBS Radio Network. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present a story taken from the front pages of your newspaper. Tonight's production on... Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents Black Jack to Kill, a dramatic report on a man who made his living by being an assassin, starring Mr. Victor Mature. Hey, hey, two-gun, why are you shooting those pistols off at your car? Because I'm tired of just shouting that my car is wasting gas and hard to start. That's why we'll cuss. <laughs> well, two-gun, why not go straight to your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer and have him check your spark plugs? You mean spark plugs could be the trouble, Wilcox? Why, they sure could, two-gun, because spark plugs are the heart of a car's ignition system, and they've got to be right. That's where your Autolite spark plug dealer comes in. He's the only one who has the exclusive Autolite plug check indicator to quickly tell whether your spark plugs are right for your style of driving. He'll do that for me? He sure will, and more, too, because if replacements are needed, he'll recommend ignition-engineered, standard or resistor-type Autolite spark plugs to give you smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. So, friends, take a tip from me and see your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer soon. And remember, from bumper to tail light. You're always right with Autolite. And now, with Black Jack to Kill and the performance of Mr. Victor Mature, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Here he is, Mr. Moyer. That chair right in front of you, Johnny. Sure. I'm going to give you a card, Johnny. I'm going to give everybody here at the table one. All five of you. What is this, anyhow? One of us is going to kill a man, Johnny. Who? That makes a lot of difference to you, Johnny? You didn't hear me say that, did you? No. Once around the table, face up. High card. High card makes one of you employed with a job to do. You got anything to say, Raddick, before I deal? Just deal, huh? Thank you, Mr. Raddick. <laughs> so polite. That Cleo kills me. Ace is high card. Winner, to kill a man. Let's go. Cut him, Cleo. Thanks. Now, stand at the door and don't let anyone in. Yes, sir. What's the matter? Doesn't Cleo get a card? You five. Just you five, Raddick. Ten of clubs for you, Raddick. Six of diamonds for you, Toker. Nine of hearts for Barney. Jack of clubs for Johnny. Goodbye, Johnny. Seven of hearts for Mackle. <laughs> you, Johnny. I'm a lucky fellow. I tell people that when they ask me about you, how lucky you are. Not a scratch, and you've knocked over three hoodlums. Four. I operated before I met you, Moyer. Four. My, my. Good-looking boy like you. It's the talk how hired killers don't come as pretty as you. Good night, Mr. Moyer. Uh, good night, Cleo. <coughs> you like it here in Miami, Johnny? Sure, I like it. Why shouldn't I like it? Oh, why shouldn't you like it? <laughs> Miami, pretty palm trees, pretty ladies, pretty ponies. And no Penny Cullen. You're doing it again, Moyer. Every chance you get, you say Penny Cullen to me. Why? Because you're lucky. A big man like Penny, and you say the right word to the wrong guy, and Penny's gone, kicked out, deported, run out of the country, and nothing happens to you. 
Uh, yes, you're the one, Johnny. All right, I'm the one. Now, uh, what did I get the high court for? For this. Ten grand to do a job. Fifteen more when you come back and it's all over. When I come back? Where am I going? Havana. Havana in Cuba. All right. I go to Havana. I kill somebody. Who? You get a plane ticket and a name and an address. The address for a man you'll see. He'll tell you who. He wants the job done. I'm just the contractor, Johnny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, have fun, Johnny. Try not to get scratched. Moyer said it, and it let loose a squad of happy butterflies that finally landed in a wad somewhere inside me. Ten grand. Ten grand to stain a little part of Havana with a man's blood, throw a handful of sand in his face, and for that, another fifteen grand when I got back, so I can enjoy Miami all over again. At the airport, hire a car, lean back, spread out, breathe deep and slow while you drive through dreamland. And where the Prado kisses the neon goodbye, a mansion with flamingos strutting in the front yard like they were on stilts and their wings a color of red I never saw before flashing against the white columns of the house. Taste it for a minute, then walk into it. And a butler in knee breeches tells you to wait. You are who, senor? Damon. Johnny Damon. Oh? I have been waiting for you, senor Johnny Damon. I am Deontay. We have business to discuss. You want some dead? What's to discuss? Just tell me who. In my study, I think is more appropriate for these matters. Venga, senor. Come. Aquí. Here. You are the assassin I have hired, see? I want to look at you. Assassin. I walk around you. Observe you. And this is what an assassin looks like? Look, how long do I have to wait? You have impatience, and you are assassin. This is an admirable quality in a man who kills for a fee. Penny Cullen. What? The man I want dead. Penny Cullen. Well, well. Penny's here, huh? Since three months. The criminal your country deported to Europe has fled from there. Came here to Cuba. This killer, this gangster, this filth you have rid yourselves of in your country. I want this also, to me. But rid me of him, dead. It's going to be a pleasure. Penny bothers you, huh? I have flourishing enterprises in Cuba, senor. Your Penny Cullen wants to share in them. This he has whispered to me. He asked for an answer quickly. You are my answer. You came you... up with the right answer, Chico. Where do I find Penny? He has a house in the Plaza Batista. Number 23. Four days, Chico. That's how long I need. Then the weepers for Penny Cullen can start crying over his dead body. Four days? Three days to watch him. The fourth, the kill. My assassin. You know, that's something Penny taught me. If the man has a schedule that lasts for three days, he'll do the same on the fourth. I see. This is very interesting to me. Sure. You see, you can't be sloppy in this kind of work. Know a man's habits. Know where he's going to be at such and such a time. Know when to kill. That way you can walk away from it. I had not known assassination was such a delicate art, senor. Delicate art, huh? See, A suggestion, if I may. Go right ahead. A thing I know about Senor Cullen. Each day at six, at twilight, he sits on a bench, the same bench always, and looks over the embarcadero. The embarcadero? The waterfront. He sits there and looks out upon the ocean. Where's the bench? There is a statue, senor, of a dying hero, Miguel Perez, to the left of the statue. Thanks, Deontay. That's all I need. Senor. Yeah? When you kill, senor, say him my name. Say, Jose Diante. Adios. Penny Cullen in Havana. Penny Cullen set up to be knocked over by me. A boy who could appreciate a nice thing like that. 
There was nothing complicated about it. Penny Cullen was a man I hated, a man I put the finger on, a man I had deported, and now I was going to get close enough to kill him. And he'd never even know I was in Havana. Now to work. First, an investment. Ten ninety-five for a pair of binoculars. Nothing fancy, but good enough. Magnification three and a half times. Very fine for seeing Penny Cullen sitting on a bench watching the ocean. That evening, get to the waterfront sometime before six. Find a spot that overlooks a bench to the left of a statue of a dying man. And wait. At a quarter of six, a vendor pedals by the bench on a bike. He's selling ice cream. And wait. And far away, a bell tolls six o'clock. And in the middle of it, a man. A man who walks over to the bench, sits on it. A man named Penny Cullen. And Penny looks pretty good. A little heavier, but just a little bit. Yeah, Penny looks pretty good. He's carrying something with him, a paper bag. At five minutes after six, he opens the bag and throws breadcrumbs to the pigeons. Penny Cullen throwing breadcrumbs to the pigeons. At 12 minutes after 6, a cop walks past the bench, touches his cap to Cullen. Cullen nods back. The cop goes away. Penny sits. 20 after, another vendor, an old woman. She's selling flowers. Penny buys one. The old woman puts it in his lapel. Goes away. At quarter to 7, Penny goes away. Next day, practically the same. 5.45, ice cream vendor. 6, Penny Cullen. 5 after, pigeon feeding time. At 6.12, the cop. 6.20, flower in the buttonhole. 6.45, Penny gets up and walks away. The next day, the same. Next day, the fourth day. Day for killing. Here's your cup of libra, senor. Thanks. Put it on the table. Si, senor. Will there be anything else? Take a buck from the bundle. Oh, uh, kid. Si, senor. I'm liable to nap. Have the desk call me at five. Si, senor. Four hours away from killing time. Time enough to have your drink... Then lie down in that soft bed and relax. Think about it. And he didn't even know I was here. Penny Cullen, pigeon feeder. <laughs> Tomorrow the pigeons would have to find a new boy. Between 6.20 and 6.45, I was going to walk up and back of him and let him have it. <sighs> and he wouldn't even know where it came from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Johnny. Hmm? Do whatever you were doing, Johnny. I'm not going to be at the bench today. Penny? Yeah. Penny Cullen, boy. Welcome to Havana. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Victor Mature in Black Jack to Kill. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, uh, Wilcox, uh, you said Autolite spark plugs are ignition engineered? I sure did, Two-Gun, because they're designed by the same Autolite engineers who designed the coil, distributor, and all the other important parts of the complete ignition systems used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. You mean Autolite spark plugs are tops in quality and performance, eh, Wilcox? Exactly, Two-Gun, and that's why so many millions of wise motorists Replace worn-out spark plugs with Autolite, standard or resistor-type spark plugs for smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. You just can't buy better spark plugs than world-famous ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. I'm going to see my Autolite spark plug dealer right now. Friends, to quickly learn the location of your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer, just call Western Union by number 
and ask for Operator 25. She'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer who is equipped to give you the best spark plug service in town. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Victor Mature in Elliot Lewis's production of Black Jack to Kill, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. So now it was different. Penny Cullen knew I was in Havana, and he knew why. But only a little different, only a little tougher. A matter now of killing a man who knew he was going to be killed. Look at it this way. It was a job, and it was going to get done. Only now it was more even up, more interesting. Penny Cullen and me. Two good boys, each holding a good hand. And the winner that was going to be me. Yes, I was the good boy who was going to stay alive. New plans. Penny knew where I was. So get out of this hotel and find another one. Pack. Carry your own suitcase. Walk down five flights of stairs. Leave through the service entrance. Down an alley. Down a side street. Keep walking. Keep alive. Get in, senor. What? I ask you what you want. Rum. Rum. Hey, bartender. Another room? Uh-uh, no. Get in, senor. That sign outside says you have rooms upstairs. See, si. You wish a room? Yeah, for four days. It can be arranged. I want something else arranged. Okay. Look what I got, Chico. See it, money? Ooh. American dollars. I, I see it, senor. I want a boat for a boat trip. Cuando? When? In four days. Look at it again, Chico. Money. Mucho, mucho, mucho money. For a boat? You said it, Chico. Oh. Conmigo. With me. Mario. Si? This man has taken a room. He also wants to arrange for a boat. Huh? I want a boat in four days. I need something to take me over to Key West. Quite to me, senor. There are fine steamships, airplanes. I can't wait for schedules. I want something that'll get me out of here when I'm ready to move. Huh. What about it? In four days. Well, what about it? In four days, senor. On the fourth day from today, we'll be ready for you. Whenever you want it. So it started all over again, the killing of Penny Cullen. This time it had to be played another way. Before I set him up, I had to think of myself, about a getaway. No commercial transportation. After I killed Penny, who knows how many of his people would be asking around for me at airports and at steamship docks. A private boat, all my own. The way to do it. The way to assassinate Number 23 Plaza, Batista. That was the address the auntie had given me. That's where Penny was. I already had the jump on him. I knew exactly where he'd be. So start it all over again. Find a spot nearby. Park your car. Get out. Hide. Watch. And it went like this. At a few minutes past midnight, a sedan drove up at number 23. Two men got out of the front, looked up and down the street. Then one of them opened the door for another man. Penny. Penny and a blonde. The two of them walk up the steps, go into the house. The lights go on, and so does some music from inside. And the two men out front, they stay there, talk a little while, tell a joke. But they stay there. That way for two hours. Then one of them looks at the other, shrugs. They walk over to the sedan and get in. And in a little while, they're dozing. And there are silhouettes of Penny and the blonde behind the windows. That's all you need to know. 
That night, the next, and the night after that, the same thing. Penny Cullen and the blonde and the music and the two men who got tired after a couple of hours and went to sleep. Then it was the fourth night. The time for killing had come around again. Penny and the blonde. So wait. And the two men. So wait. An hour. Wait. Two. Wait. And then, the two men dozing. Let them sleep. The time for killing. Assassination. A delicate art. And it was done. Senor? Let's go, bartender. Let's tell your boss I'm ready for that boat. Your business here in Havana is completed? Four days and it's all done. Let's go. Mario, he is here. And this case negocio está completado en Havana. He quiere un buque hoy. Ah? Look, bartender, what did you tell him? El tiene un gran apuro por el buque, Mario. Está todo listo? Ah. I ask you something. What did you tell him? Take your hands off me, senor. Well, Mario knows what you want. Talk to him. What about it, Mario? You got the boat for me. He said you have a lot of money. Show me. Sure. You hear it? Whispers to you. <laughs> Foolish, senor. So much money to wave it as such a stranger as me. You know what else I got? A gun. Right under the gabardine. You have money, you have a gun. It takes now only the boat to Key West to make you happy, see? Yeah. Two thousand dollars. Two thousand, huh? For you. Just for you. All right. When you put me on the boat. Bueno. El hombre está aquí, como dijo usted, en americana, con pelo huevo. Él tiene mucho dinero ahí en el... Who are you talking to? Look, when you talk to it in American so I can understand what you're saying. In American, Mario. My friend speaks only Spanish. You do not believe me? You talk to him, senor. You tell him what you need. Talk to him. Sorry, Glavo. Muy bien. Yo le diré. Sit down, senor. Make yourself at home. What did your friend say? One hour. He will call when he's ready. I told you it had to be ready when I wanted it. Try someplace else, senor. You sure your friend's got the boat? One hour. I already said it. Sit down. You play cards, senor? Look, call him back and tell him I haven't got an hour. Everybody has an hour, senor. Except the dying. Dealer cards. Poker? Deal. Except the dying. And that didn't include me. Penny Cullen dead. Johnny Damon, healthy and wealthy. But how long does an hour take? How many poker hands? And how many times did the door open like that and a man standing in the doorway looking at you? Just standing and looking, then goes away. A man. And a woman, then another man. And Mario across the table, not looking at his cards, looking at you and laughing like that. And. Sí. Todavía está aquí. Muy bien, muy bien. Como diga usted. It was not about you, senor. It was of another matter. Things like that. The people who stood in open doorways staring. A phone call that was not about you. Things that only eat up half an hour. Things in Mario. <laughs> What's funny? What are you laughing at? At you, senor. You're such a bad poker player. Sure. Maybe you're not getting a boat. Maybe your friend's not getting me a boat either. How come it takes an hour to get a boat? You had four days. How come it takes another hour, Mario? Hello, Johnny. 
I said hello. Hi, Penny. Yeah, you better get on your feet, Jenny. Get out of here, Mario. I couldn't have missed you, Penny. Not you, boy. You never miss. You killed a man. Uh-huh. Yeah, a man I was saving up to be killed. Kind of built like me. You're a tricky boy, Penny. But not you. That thing I taught you. A man has a schedule for three days, he'll do the same on the fourth? Oh, Johnny. You should have known I was figuring right with you. Yeah, I should have done that. Do you like Havana? It was all right. I'm still in favor of Miami. It's not even worth an opinion anymore, Johnny. Oh? Yeah. Moyer wrote me and said you're being replaced. He's got a kid named Cleo he likes. Moyer wrote you? <laughs> Moyer? Uh-huh. You're kidding, Penny. Moyer was contracted for what I was supposed to do to you. Oh, Johnny, you've really lost touch. Mm-hmm. Not Johnny. Johnny. He didn't hire you to kill me. I hired him to send you to me. Tricky. I thought so. What'd you expect, boy, getting me heaved out of the States and all? Yeah, I thought that was very patriotic. It was, it was. Now I'm going to tell you something, Penny. Uh-huh. I'm going back to Miami. Moyer's jaw is going to drop when he sees me. Then he's going to pay me the 15 grand he owes me for killing you. Then he's going to run. Behave, Johnny. You're not getting back to Miami. Oh, you think you can... Oh, kill me? You die hard, Johnny. Oh. Yeah, Johnny! Johnny, no! You think you can kill me? Presented by Autolite, tonight's star, Mr. Victor Mature. And here once again is our star, Victor Mature. Victor, it was great having you on Suspense again. Thanks, Harlow. And thanks to Autolite for giving me such an exciting story. You know, Harlow, the play's the thing. Agreed, Victor. But all elements, both the play and the actor, must be right to ensure the best show possible. Now, take your car, for example. To ensure its best performance, it needs Autolite, ignition-engineered spark plugs, either standard or resistor type. I say Autolite spark plugs because they're designed by the same engineers who design complete electrical systems. Autolite actually makes over 400 products for cars, trucks, tractors, planes, and boats. These include the world-famous Autolite stay-full battery, automotive wire and cable, bumpers and hubcaps, and many more. No wonder, from bumper to tail light. You're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, our star will be Mr. John Hodiak in another story taken from life, a dramatic report we call The Case History of a Gambler. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. Herbert Marshall, Mr. Jeff Chandler, and Mr. Charles Boyer. All on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Black Jack to Kill was written for Suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Featured in tonight's story were Herb Butterfield, Clayton Post, Harry Bartell, Jack Crucian, Eddie Firestone... Joseph Kearns, and Steve Roberts. Tonight's appearance of Mr. Victor Mature was made possible through the permission of 20th Century Fox Studios, whose current release is Fixed Bayonets, starring Richard Basehart. And remember, next week on Suspense, Mr. John Hodiak in The Case History of a Gambler. Spark plug or battery dealer, or your nearest authorized Autolite service station, phone Western Union by number and ask for operator 25. Switch to Autolite. Good night. 
The Christmas season is also the Christmas seal season. By using and buying Christmas seals, you directly aid in the fight to conquer tuberculosis, which kills more people than all infectious diseases combined. Your Christmas will be more worthwhile if you buy Christmas seals. This is the CBS Radio Network. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.